podcast is brought to you by Welcome all you QT faithful to our second Tarantino Bible study, where each month we sit down and take an intense look at one of the major scenes from our movie of the month. I'm your host, the Reverend Scott K, and it is my pleasure once again to welcome back my good friend, Deacon LaPlante, as together we will be taking a deeper dive into the gospel of Tarantino as we turn to the book of True Romance, chapter 8, The Sicilian Scene. Welcome back, Mr. LaPlante, and may Tarantino be with you always. Hello, hello, hello. I should have mentioned this our first Bible study, but when I give out the chapter, that is actually the chapter with which the scene is on in either the Blu-ray DVD or on your iTunes. That is the chapter you can find the scene of the movie we are talking about. Not from the book. <laughs> I, I wish I I would love to write a book, but it would take way too fucking long, and I don't have that kind of time. The book of T- Tarantino. The book. Like of, the, the book of, book of Q. <laughs> <laughs> Written uh, by yeah, exactly. <laughs> anonymous Apple employee. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> and now it's time to open your Tarantino Bibles to the book of True Romance, chapter 8. Well, this is a scene that you and I have gushed on in our other podcast, Watch Us or Die, when we were still doing that. We have talked about it, I think, in just even passing of other movies that we've talked about. I think we this was our number one if we had had it in our True Romance one, but I think what was our number one? I think we picked Heat. I think it was the heat scene was our number one conversation scene that because we I don't think we put oh, yeah. this in it because we we couldn't because obviously we don't we never put anything in from the movie that we were talking about but this is Mr. Tarantino's or at the time when he first wrote this this was the benchmark to which everything else he wrote in his career was then basically uh, put up against. He wrote this first. This was his, one of his first official scripts that he finished, and it was one of his proudest moments. Now, what a lot of listeners don't know, and I'm pretty sure you do because you did your research, hopefully, but if not, he heard this speech when he was younger, and a lot of times people think he just overheard it from some friends or whatever. Actually, he has had a bunch of, I don't want to say stepfathers, but probably boyfriends that came through the house that lived with his mom. She started to date uh, more black men than White men. And so a black gentleman who was the mother's boyfriend and living in his house at the time 
talked about this scene. He talked about how the Moors had conquered Sicily and how the Sicilian race really had been changed bloodline-wise through uh, the Moors basically, you know, doing what all conquering <laughs> tribes do, which is have sex with the local population's females, whether they want to have sex with them or not. We've done it in slave times here in America. We've done it all over the place. All over the place. So this isn't like the only time it's happened in history. You can go throughout history and see. It's not the first see. time in history. Yeah, that's yeah. why, what is it, uh, 33 and Me or whatever the hell it is, those sites, yeah. because your ancestors is not what you think it is. Uh, it's most I likely know. been split I actually up. have one out right now. My DNA is being analyzed. I can't wait to see what it is. The Moors of Northern Africa invaded and conquered Sicily in June of 827 AD and held it as a Muslim state until they were ousted by the Normans in August of 902 AD. I think it was pretty interesting, to, you know, to kind of learn that. And then after hearing this from the gentleman who was his mom's boyfriend at the time, he then parlayed this at a party one time. He was telling a friend about it. And as they're having this conversation, <laughs> he remembered thinking, wow, he's got to remember that. But that's only one half of the scene. The other part of the scene is where we get Christopher Walken's character telling us how great Sicilian liars are and all the pantomimes that people have, that men have 17 and women have 20. It is believed that Tarantino may have made the number of pantomimes up, as there is believed to be around 24 that give away a liar, regardless of your sexual orientation. So it's a two-part scene. I think a lot of it is we remember <laughs> the remember the Dennis, Dennis Hopper's yeah. kind of like out-of-nowhere haymaker. His takeover spin. <laughs> Yeah. Of the scene. Yeah. Him flipping the table. Yeah. <laughs> Metaphorically. It's a two-part scene. And as I discussed with Petros on our True Romance episode two, this, along a lot of things within the movie, there is a back and forth. So we had a lot of what looked like the villain or the, the main bad guy would come into the scene and be heavy-handed. And you would think, oh, shit, our heroes are in trouble. And then the heroes out of the blue would suddenly turn the tables. First one was Drexel when Clarence goes to meet Drexel and he comes in and then Drexel has that big speech about there's some titties up there on the screen and you don't yeah. want to an egg roll and I thought you were a bad motherfucker kind of thing and you think, oh shit, Clarence is fucked because Drexel's it's fucked. far more street savvy. Yeah. And then Clarence flips it on him when he hands him the envelope. It's like, I don't give a shit about the titties on the screen. I don't like you. Here's some money. You know what I mean? Basically, yeah. you go, oh shit. You go into each of these scenes that Tarantino wrote and you think, oh fuck man, these leads are in trouble. And then through some fucking verbal gymnastics, all of a sudden, you know, he set us up for this this tension that we feel like the the hero's in trouble, but at the end, sometimes the hero doesn't survive as in this scene is well documented. A tip of the hat to how good of a writer he was right out the gate. And that this scene would be his greatest scene until Inglorious Bastards, the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards at the French farmhouse. Before we kind of dive more into the Sicilian scene, which one do you think is the better scene? And it's tough. I've been thinking about this all morning, having known I was going to ask you this question and then have to maybe have an answer prepared for myself. Even now, I don't know which is the better scene. I mean, I think the French farmhouse yeah. is a more tense scene because it's so long yeah, it's, and it's, it's like it's a ticking tense. time bomb underneath because we then kind of have a feeling that he's probably hiding Jews under the house and then we're just not sure if he's going to find him or not if they're going to be able to get away with it and then we slowly learn that Hans Landa already knows there's Jews under the house and is just toying with this yeah. French farmer and makes a glass they of milk Unbelievably scary. And then breaks it with this really nice comedic moment. Because I remember the first time seeing it when he asked him, can I smoke my pipe? And he pulls out that big fucking Bavarian that giant pipe. pipe yeah. And everyone just kind of laughs because like, it breaks that tension of like... Or it does. It really does. I think they both have their like 
the good parts. Like, so the Sicilian scene is good because the the dialogue in like such an intense part uh, where it's involving the life of one character surviving is so realistic to like that grand like fuck you that you yes. would always want to give if you knew you were gonna die and this person is about to be the person to fucking bring that upon you you want to fucking just drive <laughs> them to the bone <laughs> to make them literally have to say the last time they killed someone like it's a fucking like they did oh <laughs> you know? i was on a fucking 20 24 year streak it was like it was like he'd gone to like killers anonymous and now he had to turn his yeah, chip in like, like he, i've been like, clean for so yeah, long seriously like he had to go back to his therapist and tell him like I fucked up this weekend, you know, I was doing good. But then for the technicality of the writing of the Inglorious Bastion scene is so good because he plays with three languages. I know he does. Yeah, that is. Which is just, so it's just, it just shows the the evolution. But if I had to choose one, I would pick the Sicilian scene because it's just, it's so good. It just showed like how promising he was back then with only I think it's it's a better it's a it's a conversation piece. Yeah. So where more it's Hans Landa, the the farmhouse, introduces us to a character who when we first see him on screen, he's not an imposing figure. He's shorter than the fucking guy who plays the French farmer. Oh god like yeah, the far- a, French farmer is fucking he, yeah he's out there just fucking hammering he's, he's axing yeah, wood. And, he looks jacked. He looks like he could be in the WWE. You know what I mean and there's this little yeah measly mouse little dude walking up all yeah. you know being all kind of funky and, and then all of a sudden you realize that his strength is in his intelligence and his wit. You realize you're up against the master when this one is a great conversation scene played beautifully by both Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken. Like you said when the scene starts, and I rewatched it this morning, just one more time, just to you know have it kind of fresh in my memory, real fresh. And I watch it this time, really, really looking hard at it, just kind of not in an aroused state, but just looking at it through my mind, a little, <laughs> a little more intensity. <laughs> but I noticed that basically Christopher Walken tells him right out the gate that he's going to die, but not that he's going to die. When he says, you've never seen evil, so personified is in the face of the man who killed you. He's telling him right then and there. It's like he's Anton Chigurh. No walking out yet. Yeah, it's like yeah, Anton no Chigurh. You know, if, you, if you've seen his face and you still be able to tell about it, like that's a miracle. Yeah. Unless you're the accountant. Yeah. But we learned early, right? We're like, oh, shit. Clifford, who is Dennis Hopper, Clifford Worley, we kind of know right away, like, oh, he's fucked. And when you first see the scene, you're just so enamored and pulled into everything that's going on in the scene that you're not, you know, we're, no one's paying attention to the little things that are being said and the little moments where things are given away. You kind of know what's coming without knowing it. But if you get a chance, and you've seen enough times, you almost know it verbatim, you can kind of sit there and then watch it with more of a, a pleasure of being able to see the stuff that's going on in the background or pay attention to detail to it. And it's in those moments that Clifford realizes he's fucking dead. He realizes yeah. it. The, the more he tries to kind of step back on it, you know, he tries to maybe he can, you know, size up. But the minute he tells them the story of the Sicilians and that there are 20 pantomimes, going into it, I started to look to see how Dennis Hopper acted. And the great thing about this acting is the first time he asks him a question, I think he goes like, where's your son? Or have you seen your son? You can see Dennis Hopper's character. You could tell he was lying immediately, not paying attention to it. Kudos to Dennis Hopper to 
you know, give away that he's lying. Yeah. You can see just by the way he, he pauses and he shifts his body and you can see in his facial expression. And then the great editing job with the insert shots. Because a lot of times you wouldn't get them, but it's the insert shots that really sell some of the stuff that's happening. Because sometimes while Dennis is talking, we get those shots of Christopher Walken's character kind of leaning in and kind of like looking for his pantomimes, looking for his telltale signs. And it's so brilliant. You wouldn't notice it normally because when you're watching it the first time, you're just, we're getting a reaction shot of Christopher Walken looking kind of tough, but we're not paying Paying attention to what he's really doing. Yeah. When you once you have the information to watch it again, you can now see the great, amazing acting job that both gentlemen did, given what they knew the context of the scene. Because Dennis Hopper has to look like he's lying. I mean, obviously oh, he's yeah. lying by playing character, but he has to look like he's lying. He has to look like the stuff. Yeah. And then when he settles into his his retort, which we'll get his into fate. His, when he knows, when he knows it's over with, and he kind of just settles into it, he's able to recall a thing he'd heard and or saw, and he's able to, to spit it out with one of the greatest, you know, like you said, greatest bow out moments. Like if you get a chance, if you're gonna yeah. die and you get a chance to really stick yeah, in somebody, well. this is really, how you do it. You really fucking stick the knife in the person that's gonna kill you and just break it off. Yes, that's that's the way to go. Director Tony Scott intended to film Christopher Walken's lines first, but the actor begged him to go last. Scott noticed while filming all of Dennis's shots that Walken was finding his character as he watched the other half of the scene playing out. He watched as Christopher built and constructed his character throughout that scene while he was playing off camera to Dennis. This is what he said gave Walken's performance a feeling that he improvised it, when in fact, it was all pre-planned in the actor's head. But it's those first few moments, and for the for the listener, if, when you, if you get a chance to re-watch this scene, go back, it's in chapter 8 of, the, of your DVD blue Ray or iTunes or whatever you've got it on and watch both the gentleman in the beginning of the scene where it's really Vincent Cacati is asking the questions. He's getting tired. What we got here is a game of show and tell. You tell me everything, <laughs> but you're showing me nothing. You know, so it's such a great moment. But he is really leading that. But it's watch the actors, watch Dennis Hopper as he answers the questions. You can see him fidget. You can see him uncomfortable. You can see him thinking about stuff. You can see him. You can pick out the lies. We know as the audience he's lying because we know he's seen him. But it's a great job by Dennis Hopper in the scene to actually express it through the acting. Yeah. When you when you lie in, in real life, you some you can feel it but you don't know you you know what I mean you don't know how much you're giving away. But now pretend to fake to lie. That's even harder to do. Yeah. He's it's not, not real life. Lying. He's acting. He's, he's he's act yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now he's got to he's got to pretend he's lying. So it's a great moment for him to to slip into that ability to just hide in in his own character. Yeah, it's it's so good. He, Dennis Hopper is one of the best Dennis Hopper scenes. Best Christopher Walken scenes. Both of them are at the top of their game in this. It's fucking crazy. Christopher Walken's had two great scenes in the Tarantino verse. Two great, amazing scenes. Yeah. This one obviously to lead it, and then a year later he's in uh, Pulp Fiction. In the Gold Watch as Colonel Coons, yeah. and he's only been on screen for the matter of like twenty, maybe maybe twenty, maybe 20, 20 minutes. You can put the two together, the most. and he has, and both of his scenes, he just steals them. You know, they're just amazing. Scott tried to rehearse the scene between Hopper and Walken, but the two actors couldn't help but break into laughter every time they tried to get through the scene. As we kind of talk through it, Blue Lou Boyle is who he's there for. Did you know this? That Blue Lou Boyle was going to have a speaking part in the original script. Did you know who they wanted to play Blue Lou Boyle? No, I did not, but I want to... I'm going to guess. Guess, yes. Please guess. It would be his boss. So I'm... I, I, Blue Lou Boyle was going to be his boss, yes. I'd say Harvey Cartel. No, that's a good guess. You're in the right range. Same it's a realm. person who has been in a Tarantino movie post this movie, down the road. Post this movie. Yes. And also in the same realm of what you were thinking. You got, you got to go gangster area. 
definitely someone who's been known for their gangster abilities. Oh, the boss of uh, Reservoir Dogs? Oh, you mean uh, Lawrence Tierney? Uh, Lawrence no, Tierney? No, no. Even though they didn't, <laughs> they fucking, he's the worst person in the world to work with? Yes, I've, I, like, I put oh, the bring him back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, he's... he's He'll yeah. quit and come back. He'll get fired, fired and come and right come back. back. <laughs> Holy cow. And pull a gun on you, too. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, fucking Christ. Talk about a wild card I mean, uh, I know it was a little sidetrack, but he had problems on Seinfeld. He was the Lane's father yeah, in one oh episode. God. And the reason they didn't bring him back is because I researched that from the post I put up, which now people are hearing this in February. It happened back in January. He stole a knife. <laughs> From the set of Jerry's apartment, and then pretended to do like the the cycle scene once he was confronted about it to give it back to him, and it just it scared the entire crew, and they're like, "We're never <laughs> no, bringing it back." Like, he, that was not, it. Not yeah. letting this fucker on never set. Never letting him. Do not came back. Make sure you bring extra security. He's probably got a gun on him. Yeah. So Lawrence Tierney really is Joe Cabot in real life. <laughs> he's he's, he he's really that guy. That's like this is acting's his side hustle. Yes. <laughs> but no, he was not considered for Blue Lou Boyle. Robert De Niro was originally considered for the role of Blue Lou Boyle. That'd be good. In the original draft of the script, Blue Lou Boyle had several speaking lines that were ultimately cut for time and budgetary reasons. Tarantino wanted Robert Forster to play Blue Lou Boyle, but Robert De Niro was ultimately attached to play the role. When the part was substantially shortened, De Niro bowed out. But I actually kind of like the fact that we never see who Blue Lou Boyle is. No, it fits better. Yeah, it's just kind of like there's that he's out there in, in the ether. We, you just never know, you know? Especially with seeing how Christopher Walken's character is, leaving it unknown to what his boss would be like. The only person you compare is his boss could be like Anton Sugar. Well, you think about it, how good he is as Vincenzo. How can anybody come on screen, even for a short amount of time, and be as imposing or sinister as he is in that moment? In that moment when he, you know, he's in there and he's giving, going through this whole spiel, he punches him, I think, once. I don't know who punches poor Dennis Hopper's character and walks in the door. He, he comes yeah. into his trailer. He's got a gun to his head. Someone punches him, knocks him out, and he wakes up. And then he gets punched in the face. That's the first little thing that happens to him. And he even tells him, this is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> it's not going to get any better. <laughs> you know, and he talks about, you know, he punched him in the nose, how your eyes water up. It sucks. But that's the best he has to offer him. Yeah. Even in that moment, I think Clifford knows he's going to die. But how does anybody? Then top that because then they would have to have like a torture scene or something. Like it have to be even yeah. more brutal. So they're pulling his fucking fingernails. Well, no, I'm saying, but to, to, to whoever, like if yeah. Robert De Niro be, is his is the blue boil, we've got to now have blue boil be like, how does a man like Vincenzo work for another? You know, how's he not the boss? You know what I mean? Like if he's working yeah. for another guy, this guy's got to be even more sinister. He's literally got to be the devil himself. He's probably now that we've seen the performance <laughs> from who Vincenzo is. You know what I mean? Like He's going to even be worse than this guy. Like, Hans Land is the top of the food chain. Like, even when yeah. you see Hitler, you almost kind of think that Hans Land is actually more sinister because yeah. because he's 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 in his mind. You know what I mean? Like, like he's not just, like, having some angry spow and whatever, like, Hitler was all about. He's more of a, like, a sociopath where Hitler's more of a he psychopath. Is. And the sociopaths and he's are a fought. Rat. Yes, he's yeah. a fucking rat. He will scapegoat. He will turn Fuck on yes. you. Yes, yes, because he's he about himself. Right out. One, yeah. Once he once he knows that the fucking Nazi party ain't what ain't gonna survive much longer, he turns coat real quick. He's he's about surviving. You know? it, so. yeah, he wants to go. 
I want a house in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Exactly. <laughs> but again, in Nantucket. So there couldn't like if you you can't imagine someone you know more like almost more powerful. Like you almost like by the time that movie ends, you think, goddamn, Hans Landa is actually a more evil person than even Hitler. You know, I know what Hitler's true history is, but you get that sense that Hitler is just like almost like a kid who's out there. And I'm not saying this is gonna be a bad analogy if taken out of context. It's not. I'm not talking about him and what he did to the Holocaust. I'm just saying he feels like one of those kids who's out there. You know, like they're just mean and they just want to burn ants with like a fucking an eyeglass. You know what I'm talking about? Like an eyeglass, like a little spyglass, and they just use the sun and they just burn them up. And they're just like little shits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where what's his name is more like he's gonna lay like breadcrumbs down and like and bring these ants in and he would like you know take care of them and then suddenly drown. You know what I mean? Like out of the blue, drown them. Like he's that much more sinister than fucking Hitler. Hitler's just like like a big baby who didn't get his way and now it's gonna have a big fucking temper tantrum and be yeah. horrible. He sucked at doing yeah. German so that's things. exactly what Vincenzo is. He is like calm, cool, oh, yeah. sociopath. I'm gonna yeah. punch you in the nose, but everyone else is gonna do something else. And that leads me to a question. The first thing that happens when they first get in and he's coming to, there's that bold uh, Italian guy, shorter guy comes in. And he's the only one who really like speaks Italian the entire time. But he comes in, uh, Vincenzo tells him, hey, go outside and you know what. What do you think the you know what is? Because he comes in and, you know, and he basically says, you know, uh, hey, Frankie, go outside and you know what. He's not going out there to guard anybody because he yeah. comes back in a little bit later. He does. So. What is the you-know-what? Does he go outside and kill the dog? Because the dog, he's got Bravo the dog and Ramo, whatever it is, and he's not there. He does mention that he talked to the neighbors. The neighbors get... Kill the neighbors, too. I can see him doing the dog just to be a fucking asshole. Because that's the only thing that else that they have on the property that's actually True, but, the, but we don't to... hear we don't hear any sounds. So that's the other thing. So whatever does happen, it's, it's, he does it quietly. Like, he either goes yeah. away, from, you know, he goes further out of earshot, so to speak. Because if you remember the scene, like, his trailer, when he said he had neighbors, at first I was thinking, where the fuck are these neighbors? I don't remember many, a, a trailer park. I remember his trailer by the train tracks. I don't remember other trailers around. So... <laughs> I'm assuming there's some further down. So he goes outside to take care of something. And it's not like he's going outside to take a piss, get some food. I really think he's going outside <laughs> yeah. to murk someone or something. Yeah. He definitely is. I still feel like it would be the dog. Because it would be the only thing he cared about. It would be the only thing to fuck with. Yeah. And, and, would, and would, fuck with him it more. wouldn't bark. He, it wouldn't bark and whine, you know, maybe drawing attention yeah. to him being dead yeah. in there. Yeah, definitely that. From the translated Italian dialogue from the scene, Frankie tells Luca to go out and you know what you have to do. As Luca leaves, Frankie tells him not to shit his pants. Upon his return, Luca tells Don Vincenzo that nothing is there. To which Don Vincenzo replies, that is not good. I don't know. I, I think either that or he's also killed the neighbors because they rolled in there heavy. It wasn't like... Oh, yeah. Like, no one's going to notice yeah. this fucking brigade of yeah, uh, a lot fucking of Italians, Lincoln yeah. Town guards and <laughs> Lincoln Town cars coming in. They brought a lot of guys for one man. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. when they send Virgil, oh, yeah. played by uh, James Gandolfini, out first to L.A., they send one guy. I mean, this pissed them off to bring this many people to his house. Oh, it was yeah. kind of an interesting that this many guys show up for one man who's an old security guard. But also... A cop so that's the other thing he's a former cop so yeah they they know that this is gonna generate um this is gonna generate them attention big time big 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 time yeah but yeah i could see it again especially with you saying that about the dog attracting attention after the words after the scene is ended they leave that dog hanging around it's gonna bring somebody around there uh a little bit faster where maybe if they got rid of like the neighbors living in the ran- random trailer nearby and they got rid of the dog 
No one's coming around there looking to him a couple days till he doesn't show up for work. And the only person putting him in some person report outside of his work would be uh, Clarence. And Clarence is going to have no clue. Yeah. Well, they hadn't seen each other in three years. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. And now he's gone. He's got bigger fish to fry on his end. <laughs> he does. Now, did you know that there is there is a second scene that was deleted? I've seen pictures of it, but I don't think I've ever seen the deleted scene. There was another scene shot with Christopher Walken, and they were actually walking around in a hotel lobby. You can kind of see these pictures online. Yeah, I've seen the pictures. And in this scene, it's interesting because this dialogue is used in Reservoir Dogs as well. He basically says to his... Um, his henchman there, I think it's a scene prior to them going to um, Clifford's house. I think this is kind of, and I think I'm glad they got rid of the scene because I like the fact that when Cliff returns to his home and then they're there, it's, you know, the first time you see it, it's all of a sudden that they're there. Yeah. It's much better than the way it would, but he's in a hotel and he basically says that someone shoved a red hot poker up our ass and I want to know whose name's on the handle. The same thing Mr. Pink says in Reservoir Dogs. The, yep. Basically the exact same thing. And I don't think it was moved either. I think it's just something he's had said. He's had characters say the same things in other movies before anyways. Oh, yeah. In a movie that we'll be talking about next month, The Natural Born Killers, they do the eeny, meeny, miny, mo in that movie and they do it also in Pulp Fiction. So he he's definitely had a couple movies where you know, you've heard similar things said by characters. Well, I don't think it's a bit is a big deal, but that is something that was there, and I'm glad they left that scene out because I don't think it adds a thing to the movie because this character of Vincenzo is much more frightening when we meet him the first time in the trailer, knowing shit's happening. Is it alluding to that he is in the actual lobby of the hotel room during the final act? Maybe. No, this is this is in Detroit. So this is. So yeah. it's a Detroit. So, what, yeah, so, it's... so it would be after he finds out that Virgil has been killed. Okay, so they yeah. probably hear that, hey, Virgil's been killed, and they want to find out who did what and Let's why it's happening. Let's go get some gobble goo in this, uh, <laughs> exactly. in this hotel lobby before we go over to that guy's trailer. <laughs> you got James Gandolfini, uh, the king of gobble goo. There, pre Gabagoo. I know. King he, he is he is great. He, is he was taking in notes in this scene. Oh, absolutely was. Absolutely was. But he's he's fantastic in the movie. But in this movie, as this scene continues, I still love this almost throwaway line. It's hard to tell how it's delivered and how it's supposed to land. But when he says, you know, a man's got seventeen pantomimes to say he's lying, women twenty. Like just a little <laughs> ad, almost like it's almost like yeah, sexist. we know like like yeah, it really doesn't feel like you know it's these broads, broads, they they're a lot more lying than us They've men. It's, it's like they got three more tells that they're lying, which than more we is probably more justification just for the mob killing people that <laughs> yeah. might have actually been innocent. They were just like, eh, I don't know, she winked <laughs> yeah. twice with her right eye that one time on that one question, so that's when I made the decision. It always does feel like a little <laughs> slap at women, like like yeah, I know men were pieces of shit, but women they. Got these three more towels. They're bigger pieces of shit than us, so don't let them fool you. Kind of thing. Really no. like Regardless, don't believe all that other uh, stuff we did. Yeah, I mean, I may have like six, uh, six girlfriends, but look, I'm t- I'm pretty sure she lies three more times to me. So God, it's, yeah, it's especially fine. we've all seen in in, in, uh, in mafia movies how they like to have one, two, three, even the ones that are made. Look at uh, look at fucking Henry Hill. He's not even a made man, and he has what three girlfriends and a wife. Yeah, and how yeah. did that work out? Uh, for Right. Snitched on all his friends. Piece of shit. Now, this movie was originally going to be directed by a gentleman named William Lustig. <laughs> now, this, I'm so glad that he did not get this fucking oh film. Oh, my God, yeah. Because he wanted almost every interior scene moved outside, including this fucking confrontation. Now, his whole thing was you go inside, you die. 
That's what he told the writers. This scene would not have had the tension, would not have had... I mean, how would they have had this outside? What you they, can't hear. What are you they standing on? Exactly. And how does he torture <laughs> him? fucking loud as shit. How does yeah. he torture him? They're what, witnesses. What's in the chair? never seen... Yeah, like never seen... Yeah, they're going to go get a chair from inside the house. Bring it and here's the funny him. thing. He says, if you go inside, you die. He dies in the scene. So that takes away his whole fucking... The whole ramification <sighs> going outside. Like, I can't imagine this scene being outside. It would be fucking stupid. It would be the dumbest thing in the world. Could you imagine this guy get... This guy gets hired for for rewrites on a, on a script you did, and all your scenes that are exteriors are all now in... Are, are all interior scenes are exteriors? Like, we got oh, to th- move the thing <laughs> and the hateful eight and Rosemary Dogs outside. So I'll go be outside. This is this indoor yeah, stuff is too much. <laughs> this, uh, we're gonna shorten this movie up. I know it's looking at three and a half hours. <laughs> three and a half hours. I got it shortened down to about just under ninety minutes. Everyone freezes to death. The, yeah, the, <laughs> the thing doesn't even happen. Everyone's outside. Yeah, they're dies. dead. They're dead before the dog makes it to the fucking. Yeah, the, the, the dog. Fort. Yeah, he, they're all dead. He drops that. They drop dynamite. <laughs> flying in in the movie it's over it's it's it. roll yeah. right, right in the first five yeah. minutes the dog shows up to the American camp and they're already dead they just fire yeah. off one stick of dynamite into the American camp start a war between Norway and fucking the Americas that would have been oh, awful man. I, I can't imagine I mean what are they both sitting in chairs outside with a train going by and yeah. like how about this like he's asking a question hey, and a train goes by if we, and he uh, can't go inside and get, <laughs> yes. you got like a nice small table and two chairs oh. from inside we can get it bring it out here yeah, you got James Gandolfini carrying a table and chairs outside. Where's your up. Where's your son? And the train's going. Huh? I said, Where's your? I can't. The train. I, <laughs> yeah, what? Fucking goes. <laughs> he conversation goes on him. for forty minutes. He just shoots him anyways. Yeah. He just can't handle it because he can't hear him over the can't train. Hear it. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Oh my god. god, that's so fucking dumb. They're like, well, nobody smokes Chesterfields indoors. I know. We gotta do it outside. Well, that's the moment you know. That's the turning point. That's the moment you know. And oh, it's yeah. such a Chesterfield. such a smart little nod in the writing. You just so don't notice. And when he offers him the Chesterfield at first, he's like, No, I'm good. It's when he takes Chesterfield, he knows. He just it's it's yeah. like when they give that it's person like cowboy moment. It is. It's well, like it's like you get you, you smoke you... your cigarette before you you're gonna get shot on the wall or they hang. It's like the last what you have before you go on death row. It's like, you know what? I know I'm about to be shot against the wall here. I'm going to have a cigarette and then they're going to kill me. You know, like he knows. And it's at that moment he settles in and goes, I'm going to at least enjoy this thing that's pleasurable to me one last time. Because I know this is it. This is my, this, this is, is it. it for me. Yeah. He knows. He has no disillusions that he's getting out of their life. He just knows it. Game over, man. Game over. I talked about it in the our main episode of this month. But there has not been a better Go fuck you moment in life. Everyone in their life, if you're going to go out, you hope you can go out in some kind of really cool way. There's no way that anyone is that can ever top the way he goes out. Just basically, yes, he knows he's going to die. But when he lands this blow to the Sicilian, I mean, this is no disrespect, but I've known quite a few people who have seen this movie. Sicilian, uh, and you're Sicilian, you're not Italian. Like, let's be very clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're Sicilian, yes, there's a difference. You're Sicilian. Yeah, maybe part of Italy, but you're Sicilian. You're not an Italian, you're Sicilian. It's kind of like when uh, in Death Proof, she calls her an Aussie and she's a Kiwi. She's from New Zealand. You know what I mean? Like, it's that Uh, kind of long place. Yeah, you don't fuck that up. They're Sicilian, they're not Italian. I've known a couple of guys who are, have Sicilian descent and who rubs them the wrong way. Obviously, it's definitely because of some racism, <laughs> obviously some, some racial beliefs that you hold that you don't want to be a part of. Heavy-handed racism. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But that being said, it is such a powerful 
uppercut. And because of what has just been said, and there's the genius with which Tarantino's script goes. True, this is not something that he came up with on his own firsthand. That Moors from Africa invaded Sicily, this is all history, and that they conquered and they did so much fucking that it changed the bloodline of Sicily forever. And that's those are facts. It's the fact that how it sets this up, how this lands better, it's actually the Sicilian liars, I can tell in someone's lying scene, that sets us up beautifully. Without that, him telling the scene, it still would be good, but it wouldn't land as much because once he tells be... him that I'm the world champion of liars... I know when you're lying. And the whole beginning of the scene, as I was telling you, you're watching me, staring at him. Everything he does, he's looking for the lies, for the tells. And then when he's able to sit there, and you even see it in Dennis Hopper's character, once he starts smoking a cigarette, and he has decided in his mind, I'm going to do this, and I know I'm going to die after, but I'm going to have an enjoyable time doing it, because I know this is going to set this motherfucker and his friend, everyone off. They're going to have to live with this forever. His friends don't even. They're like. Well, they uh, James Gandolfini can't can't when he hears it, his facial expression. It's just like, did he just? <laughs> yeah, like they're almost scared that Christopher Walken might not be contained after killing <laughs> Dennis Hopper. That he, he might go on his... <laughs> assassinate his own fucking crew just out of anger uh, at this point. So yeah, <laughs> but just the face, like, like I think even James Gandolfini's character. It's almost like, and I think even Vincenzo there. They're giving him There's man, a little bit of, the, like, the he's got bo- on this, the, the balls on this guy like to say this. this. To tell a guy who says his father is from Sicily. He's a world champion uh, heavyweight of Sicilian liars. He taught him everything he knows, so he's now the reigning champion. He couldn't have said Sicily more times. If he, you know, yeah. He may have been born in America, but he, in his mind, he's Sicilian the whole time. So he yeah. knows this is oh, going to yeah. cut him. He's going to cut him to the fucking core. But it's yeah. when he takes that cigarette. Breaks him down. And he starts to talk about it. And when he goes, so you're Sicilian, huh? That's the moment. You can see the joy start to roll in his eyes. That he knows what he's about to say. When he ends it with, now if that's the truth, am I lying? And almost the defeat that he has to give him to say that, no, you're not lying. Like he couldn't read him yeah. lying. Oh, and so yeah. now by him saying that. All his men now know that he didn't lie. So this story is, true. is fact. <laughs> and that yeah. whether they want to deal with it or not, they have African blood in them. They have African ancestry in them. And that's going to hit them hard. Because they're not going to like it. This, that, that's, that's just not no. going to happen. They're going to be... <laughs> yes, at the end of the day, Dennis Hopper gets killed. But at the end of the day, he lands the greatest... He, yeah. The greatest he wins. just hate. He, he wins. Oh, he wins. He, he wins by losing. He does. He wins. He, wins. Like, he dropped the mic and left. That was like the greatest mic yeah. drop ever. Oh, my God. I'm out. I'm out. See, motherfuckers, I'm out. Because he's not going to give up yeah. his son. He decides he's not going to give up his son. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately. His fucking son is not the brightest. Well, 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 not just that, but I mean, unfortunately, he put on the he gave him where he was gonna go. So even though he doesn't give him up, he forgets that he's got Dick Ritchie's fucking address on the fucking Dick thing. Because the Italian guy again goes, you know, wh- why did he kill him? And he's like, oh, you know, the guy told uh, Don Vincenzo that Sicilians uh, were spawned by, and I won't say the word, but by blacks. And he goes, so he killed him. And that short Italian guy's kind of like, yeah, no, that sounds right. Like he's kind of like, yeah, no, that, that sounds one hundred percent right. Sounds exactly right. What is it? What is the year count that he says it's is it 20 1984 since he's killed so what's so about nine ten years depending on one that you know so he's, yeah. he's been almost a decade Not since the guy's killed anybody. Anybody. but yeah but still you know <laughs> i got my 10 i almost i got my 10 year chip i was going for my 11 year you fucking did it 
But yeah, it's so good the way that he responds when he laughs at the story. And like, it's almost like he. It's he that can't. moment. Yeah, but what happens is, is they, that's the only ad lib moment in them thing. Cause he says, you're an eggplant. And he says, you're a cancel. And when you see those two laughing in that moment, it's because it wasn't in the script. So when Dennis says, you're an eggplant, it gets him to laugh. Oh and, God, and then the report so with your cantaloupe, which is really quick on your feet thinking for Christopher Walken. Funny thing is, is obviously this is called the Church of Tarantino. So obviously I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Tarantino. To say that that's almost like, you know, it's like saying I love my kids. Like it's, it's, it's really should be pretty much known. I may love him more. I don't know. You never know. He's giving me more moments of joy and less grief than my children have. But for him to not like that, the moment that that hits on screen, I, I guarantee it's the first take. And I, I couldn't find anything else about it. When I did a lot of research for this scene, they'll give you all kinds of like, you know, like literally line by line the whole scene. But there's not a whole lot of, of backstory into it. So I don't know if this was one take, if this was another different take. But when they do that, when he says, you're a fucking uh, eggplant, he goes, hey, hey. And he you know, does the, you know, flips it and obviously pantomiming something that they yeah. feel African-Americans do or something like that. Because that's exactly, that's what they're doing with us saying it. Yeah. Well, and then he said, well, you're a cannibal. And the, and the laugh is genuine. Like, it's a real genuine hearty, holy shit, that caught me out of nowhere. I'm at a comedy club. <laughs> I didn't feel, I think that punchline yeah. was coming laugh. And for Tarantino not to like that, sometimes, you know, sometimes QT just shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's a oh genius moment. It is a good moment. I love it. it. It makes the scene. It's that finishing touch on it. It's just, yeah, so, so, so good. R.I.P. Dennis Hopper, but yeah, it's it's just oh, it's that cowboy moment. Him smoking the cigarette and having that whole his whole speech is just so fucking good. Proper fucking send off. And Jesus Christ, uh, he's so angry when he fucking unloads on him. He doesn't give a fuck. Like those bullets are gonna start ricocheting through that fucking room. He could have killed himself. <laughs> he well, fucking... he does. She does shoot down. Yeah, Adam. Oh, it was fucking guy. <laughs> he's just he's just so <laughs> arrogant, so good. I mean, we all know when he stands up, he's getting a gun. We all oh, know yeah. this. Hopper knows this. They all know this. Which then brings an interesting, interesting, interesting point. Found the eggplant scene. Dennis Hopper was extremely concerned about being shot by Christopher Walken with the prop gun so close to his head, from here to being burned by the barrel. Director Tony Scott assured him the gun was 100% safe and even tested it by having the prop man fire it against so his own up. forehead. Not the fire for the prop that. gun. Fucking crazy. The barrel extended about a third of an inch and Scott ended up on the floor with blood pouring out of from the wound. So little <laughs> less to say that I don't think Dennis Hopper was in the scene. They either used the stunt or they just inserted it. And it's almost like that father is like, oh, stop being a pussy. It's fine. Let me, I'll yeah, show you. Suddenly no, like they hurt themselves. And they've realized that, yeah. that all those fears were exactly 100% true. Yeah. So it's that dad being scared to, our son being scared to use a scope for the first time. And then the father's like, oh, well, I'll go and use it. And he scopes himself. This happened pretty close to the crow time frame of Brandon Lee's death because the crow comes out in 94 yeah. this is 93 yeah. and so he died I believe in 93 during the filming so maybe this was filmed a year prior but like there was some real yeah. I understand why Dennis Hopper was a little concerned about the prop gun burning him this isn't you know apocalypse now cocaine dennis hopper he's, like, he's starting to chill out a little bit back then he would have been yeah. like i want a real bullet in it i'm gonna take a bullet i'll but, wear but he, is he still not too far off from dennis hopper uh fucking blue velvet <laughs> blue velvet yeah yeah you know maybe for every uh crazy performance he has he uh he wants to go a little light he takes his, his risk he's like ah you know i was a little crazy on this set let me uh yeah. kind of d- dial it back on this one well, it kind of reminds me of something that petro said when we were talking about it 
is Dennis Hopper brings weight to this scene because he's supposed to be an alcoholic from the conversation we have prior to this scene yeah. where we meet Clarence and he talks, you know, and he's, you know, when mom and everyone else was giving you shit about being a drunk, I didn't say anything. We buy into that Dennis Hopper is this, especially if, you know, you're a person who saw the movie and know Dennis Hopper's past, that he was a huge partier back in the 70s, early 80s with cocaine and anything else. He just was a big into the booze and the coke. In fact, Dennis Hopper had such an insatiable appetite for drugs and alcohol that in an interview, he revealed that at the height of his alcoholism, he would consume 28 beers, a half gallon of rum, and three grams of cocaine on a daily basis, saying he used to get thirsty, and you gotta have a beer or two when you get thirsty. His character in this movie, having been a reformed alcoholic, which isn't it kind of fucked up that Clarence offers to get him beer? You know what I mean? Yeah. Still, it's, yeah, kind of, it's kind of a dick move. Yeah, That's kind is. of a dick move. But his character in this and then also in Hoosiers, you don't have to be sold that he's an alcoholic. You buy into him because you know of his past. It's almost like he's able to bring his past into the characters he's playing, even though oh my God, yeah. they're not the same. You know, it's like yeah. we buy into the fact that he is a person who enjoyed the, uh, an alcoholic beverage. There may not have smuggled a large sum of drugs onto set before. <laughs> Here's something I found interesting, and I don't think, since we were talking about Vincenzo, before we kind of wrap this up, did you know that Liam Neeson turned down the role yeah. for this? Like, it's I can't weird. imagine that Liam been, Neeson. That would have been the Warriors casting. I'm sorry. That would have been fucking god-awful. Like Liam Neeson, and at the time, he's not who we know him as today. No, yeah. He was a big stage actor back then. I was, unfortunately, watching a movie just the other night. It was nothing else. I was just flipping through it. Um, it was on HBO Max, uh, the... Body Hitman's Body Wife's Bodyguard or something like that. It's not very good. But it's Ryan Reynolds. It, they it's like a sequel. They have Antonio Banderas in full Hispanic accent that he has, playing a guy from Greece. <laughs> like, like not even like this, those two accents They're aren't even like, fucking close. Not just even go close. With it. I mean, they gave him a Greek name. It's not even fucking oh close. God. I mean, it's it's Puss in Boots from fucking Shrek in this fucking movie. So, I mean, that's how thick his accent is. He doesn't even pull it back at that's all. Funny. And I'm supposed to believe he's some Greek guy. Like, that's so that's how I feel oh like Liam God. Neeson would have been as Vincenzo Cacati. I don't think it would have been seriously. worth the fuck with him being. It would have been awful. Even in a dialect, full dialect coach, it would have just been. Oh my. God, I can imagine what his Italian, his Sicilian accent would be. Look, don't get me wrong. Christopher Walken didn't really need an accent, but it's just the way, I mean, his his speech pad, everything worked. He knows how to do it. He's got he's got enough under his belt. Well, yeah. he's also from Detroit, so he doesn't have to pull the whole New Yorker, you know, yep. the whole New York mafia dialect that we all are, are accustomed to hearing, especially with Scorsese movies. But Liam Neeson, not even close. Like, it would not be, no, wouldn't have been good at all. And I like Liam Neeson, but... The look, nothing. Like, yeah, it just wouldn't have fit. It would have been bad. And he doesn't do a great American accent. Like, there's a lot of actors who yeah, can pull he, it off. Where you go, geez, they're really I, I good. I feel like he, has, he struggles to actually drop his accent. I agree, because I think he is some, a bit Irish. I think it's it's a harder yeah. harder accent for him to drop. hundred yeah. percent agree with you. I'm trying to think of other another Irish actor that can drop it. Uh, maybe Colin Farrell. Farrell a little bit. It sounds like he can in the Batman. It does sound yes. like he can, can in the, the Batman. Batman. And he's I definitely done it before in like uh movies where, you know, more indie movies where he doesn't um just it slightly drops it where he doesn't need a full go yeah. like he is gonna transition in the Batman to having a full on gangster from Gotham yeah. accent. But for me this is definitely the greatest conversation scene of dialogue in any movie that I've seen. Uh, Heat's a close second. 
this was a scene that showed you the true mastery of a writer. And I give complete nod to the late, great Tony Scott for shooting this scene and this film the way it was supposed to be shot. He put it in order as opposed to the supposed to be out of order sequence. But this film and him having also the courage to not put that extra scene that we were talking about in makes when he comes on screen so much more powerful as opposed to us getting introduced to him. Up until that moment, we just think that he's killed Drexel, who's some piece of shit fucking pimp that no one's going to give a shit about and that he's going to walk away from this free and clear. You know, I mean, his father says he's, you know, member of Blue Bull. If you don't run in this circle, you should be fine. And we forget that he left his his driver's license. Uh, he has it in his hand before he shoots him in the dick. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such great writing, but the fact that Tony Scott filmed this and didn't try to change anything and really let this scene build and the casting was spot on. You couldn't have picked two better performers to go toe-to-toe with than Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken. They were absolutely brilliant in this scene. And that will do it for this month's Bible study. I would once again like to thank my good friend Deacon LaPlante for joining me this month. Now be sure to tune in next month as Steve Smith from the Way Past School Podcast will once again be joining me, this time to discuss the Tarantino-written and Oliver Stone-directed cult classic crime film, Natural Born Killers. As always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by liking our Facebook page, at Church of Tarantino, or by following us on Instagram, at the Church of Tarantino, and on Twitter, at Church of QT Pod. And don't forget to check out our new YouTube channel to stay up to date on our weekly Tarantino vs. Top 5s. So until next month, this has been the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you, always. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.